Welcome to Lead Time Chats, where you can listen in on unscripted conversations between engineering leaders and other influential folks in tech. I'm Jean, and I'll be your host. Lead Time Chats is brought to you by Range. Range helps hybrid teams check in asynchronously about what matters most. Know what's happening through status updates that pull from tools like GitHub and Jira without scheduling yet another meeting. Checking in with Range creates more focused time for heads down work, all while feeling a deeper sense of connection and belonging with your team. To learn more about Range, you can check it out at range.co. Kate, thank you so much for joining me for Lead Time Chats. Hi, thank you for having me. So today the topic we're going to talk about is burnout and how to manage burnout with engineers on your team. And Kate, I know you have a lot of experience uh, managing engineers at places like Absolutely, Shift, and Samsara. But to start us off, I'm curious if you could share a little bit of your own experience with burnout and managing burnout with engineers on your teams. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my first exposure to burnout was me burning myself out many times. So I think by the time I had done it multiple times in my early 20s, I was I was starting to get a sense that maybe this this was a bad thing to continue doing. I think my journey of personally understanding burnout had a lot to do with with other issues around like anxiety and depression and ultimately going to therapy and starting to realize that some of the environmental attributes, some of the, some of the environments that we set up for ourselves are maybe not helping us be as successful as we want them to be. Um, and I'll go into that, um, in a minute, but, but when I became a manager, you know, one of the interesting things there is your own personal experience is useful and interesting as like a foundation for doing research, but it's rarely representative of all people's experience. And so as a manager, what I've thought about a lot is, you know, Burnout happens, burnout actually happens to almost everyone, but the reasons why people get burnt out are very unique to them and to their life experiences. And so understanding burnout in any individual that I manage really is this, this experience of recognizing it first and then starting to walk back from there, kind of what's happened and how, how we've gotten to a place where the person's energy is being drained so much that it's, that they're unable to recharge it ultimately. Yeah. When you were in those um, times of burnout yourself, could you identify that you were burnt out or was it like looking back, you realized those were times when you were burnt out? I think you can identify it, but I think there's a lack of belief in it. I mean, I think the first place most people burn themselves out in is school. Like by the time I got to college, mm-hmm. I was so burnt out from high school that I just had, I struggled to, to get things done. I was so tired emotionally. I was tired of being stressed all the time. I was tired of having too much homework all the time. And when I got out of college, I think, you know, I was still burnt out and went into the work world. And a lot of the habits, I think that we sometimes accidentally teach in an achievement culture just lead to continual burnout. You know, one is that stress is a good motivator. Stress is a terrible motivator. You're stressing yourself out to get something done. It's, it's by definition unsustainable there. I, I think there's, there's other belief systems that we have uh, around work, which is that working really hard is important also for success. Turns out that's not true. There's a lot of creative work that is not linear. The more hours you put in does not mean the more that you get out. So there were, there were a lot of things I had to recalibrate about what it meant to get work done, to be productive and to be successful. And 
I think a lot of what we taught and a lot of how I learned to get things done in school was actually not good. They weren't good practices for the rest of my life. I was going to keep burning myself out over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, the thing about like, like achievement, right? Like achieving and having this drive to work harder, work more, achieve more things is often what leads to burnout because you, you don't, you're not able to recharge enough to, to kind of like balance out that, that desire to, to achieve. What are some of the, you mentioned like your own experience. And then when you work with engineers on your team, what are some of the signs you look out for to identify burnout? Yeah. I mean, so this is probably a good time to talk a little bit about what my definition of burnout is. Burnout basically is, burnout is a state where you are emotionally exhausted. It's, it's, comes from being in a state of heightened emotional duress to the point where your body can no longer maintain that. Your body and brain don't want to do it anymore. You're just tired, mostly emotionally, but sometimes physically. And it looks like a lot of things, but it just, it looks like a lack of engagement. It looks like a lack of apathy at its most extreme. It starts to look like depression. It, it, I mean, for me, I cry a lot more easily. So I go back and forth too, between being anxious and then, you know, feeling just completely overwhelmed and unmotivated. So for people, it can look like a lot of things. And then the early stages of burnout or basically pre-burnout is kind of like almost a heightened state of being amped and Mm. it can look like being stressed, but it can also look like being excited. It looks like, it just looks like a lot, (laughs) basically like people, people are kind of amped. The analogy I use is, I don't know if you've ever had a dog or done any dog training, but dog training is like weirdly relevant to our lives. I personally take a lot out of dog training. One of the things they teach you when you have a dog is that when you come home, you don't want the dog to get excited. You, You basically with a dog kind of want to help them maintain calm um, because any sort of emotional excitement can lead to overexcitement. It can actually be more of a nervous energy because excitement and nervousness are two sides of the same coin. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of dog training is about pursuing calm. And it wasn't until I had a dog and sort of doing a lot of that, that training that I was like, this is exactly what I need to be pursuing in my <laughs> like, daily life. I need like, someone to dog train me. <laughs> like I need to be pursuing calm, you know, like, yeah, like we know stress is bad, but, but weirdly like being overly excited is also kind of a, a strain on our bodies and we can flip flop between mm-hmm. them pretty quickly. So those are some of the signs I, I look for earlier by the time someone's like really burnt out. Often it looks like a lack of motivation. They're having a really hard time connecting with things. And the challenge is the more burnt out you are, the longer the recovery you need to get back to a place where you're, you're calm, you're effective, you're recharged. And so sometimes burnout is just so far down a certain path that you're looking at months of recovery. So I, I, I try to see it earlier and earlier, but at each stage, it looks a little bit different. I mean, at the earliest stages, it looks like stress, anxiety, excitement, basically it looks like a lack of calm. I imagine that having been through burnout a few times, you're better at like identifying it for yourself, but also for other people. Cause that's kind of like an earlier, earlier stage sign. How do you address it if people maybe don't know that they're burnt out or maybe don't acknowledge just, yeah, just don't, don't think that they're burnt out. They don't think that there's a problem. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things is that people don't realize that certain things will burn them out if they continue on. The thing that I do when I, when I talk to people about, about these kinds of things is, and I stole this idea from the author of Dilbert, who I don't like for many reasons, actually, because I think he's like, 
got some problematic ideologies, but he did say one thing in an article I read about managing energy levels, Mm -hmm. thinking about what gives you energy and what drains you. And I spend a lot of time talking to the people I work with about those types of things. And I, I find that to be one of the best ways to frame a conversation. Things that give you energy are usually things that you enjoy doing, uh, things that you're excited about, and things that drain your energy are usually indicative, indicative of stressors, areas where you're not motivated, areas where you're, you don't have a high level of interest. Mm-hmm. And when you start to ask about what things are draining energy, you'll start to notice, you'll start to notice cert- certain stressors that exist for people that are draining them. So for example, you know, people, people that you manage are like all across the spectrum of sensitivity to certain things. We all come with our like little backpacks of personal issues. I have a decent amount of social anxiety. Not everyone has that. But what that means is that in the workplace, certain types of interactions are more draining for me than they are for other people. Cause I just bring an inherent level of anxiety to them. Even if you can't tell I'm anxious, I, I am a little bit more anxious than other people. And so I know this about myself when I'm able to help set up my work so that I, you know, kind of mitigate that. Depending on where people are at in their lives, they may or may not know the things that stress them out or the anxieties they have. We've usually lived with them our whole lives. So they're kind of invisible. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you start to talk to people and you ask what drains your energy, how do you feel about certain things? You can, they'll, they'll start to, they'll start to kind of tell you in small ways. They're like, they can be like, oh, well, I was worried about X, Y, and Z, which is usually an indicator to me that like, this, this might be something that is a general anxiety of theirs that we want to kind of get out ahead of. So I'm always, mm-hmm. I'm kind of like looking for those stressors and I take them really seriously because I assume that they're telling me less than they may, they may be, they're telling me less than is there either because they don't know about it or because, you know, they're uncomfortable talking about it. Yeah. And I don't want to make them like, tell me all their personal issues. That's too much. I just yeah. want to help them have a good workplace where they feel calm, where they feel like they can get their work done in a maintainable way. So I just, I take any sort of indication of stress or worry or anxiety or like friction really seriously. And I'm like, okay, tell me more. Like, let's talk about this. Was that really draining for you? And then I start to like work with them to think about how we can, basically how can how can we solve whatever problem they're solving in a way that is less stressful. So instead of, you know, confronting someone and saying, hey, I think you're in the early stages of burnout, just kind of listening to what they're, what they're already sharing with you around things they're worried about, like things they're maybe dreading, and then just making some suggestions to help them kind of shift around their schedule or maybe avoid things that are more worrisome for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm light on specifics because, you know, these all have to do with other people, but I, I had an engineer recently. I started managing a new team. I was kind of getting to know everyone. I had an engineer who I was talking to and he basically told me, he was like, I'm feeling kind of burnt out. And I was like, okay, like this, let's deal with this. And there's some things, you know, everyone has their own little personal backpack of issues that they bring with them. But there are some things that are generally true about all of us that make us tired. One of them is context switching. Yeah. Um, so focus is kind of an antidote to context switching. But basically, you know, we sat down and I was like, if you're feeling burnt out, let's have you do one thing he'd mm-hmm. he'd had a lot on his plate he'd felt really stressed by having a lot on his plate by having a lot on his plate he felt like he couldn't be successful at any of it which that's another mm-hmm. stressor so I was like let's do one thing let's have you be successful at that one thing like let's clear your schedule have you go deep into a topic because that's kind of almost the opposite of what you've been doing and let's just get you some time back in your day mm-hmm. and and go from there and that I think was like a really helpful resetting is just remembering that there there are certain things that stress all of us out. Failing is stressful. 
being overwhelmed is stressful. Context switching is stressful. And so if you see those, you can kind of generally assume that it's not sustainable for someone. And the best thing to do is to get them into an environment where they're focused um, they have, they feel like they have time, they're doing one thing and they can kind of, I, I don't know how to say this. They can kind of relax into the one thing that they're doing mm-hmm. and do it successfully. Yeah. I love that tactical feedback I, uh, advice because I think that sometimes people try to like, be like, oh, you're burnt out, take some PTO and you come back and you're still burnt out. And like, there's kind of these things that people try that don't really work out because you know, whatever is draining them more than is recharging them is still there when they return. And so really diagnosing and getting to the root of like, what is the draining and how do you like mitigate the draining by either draining less or upping the recharge. And especially this past year, I've noticed just talking to people and people on the team and friends, like, I think people got a lot of recharge from their social life when we're not in a pandemic. And so, you know, being in the pandemic and having limited social options and travel, I think is often something people use to recharge. So not having those options available, people were like finding that their, their, the, the, the things that drained their energy was exceeding what could recharge it. And so finding ways to either, you know, finding work, like you're saying, like just focusing on one thing that's maybe type of work that's less draining for them or finding other ways in their lives that they can recharge as well or finding new ways. But maybe, you know, maybe there are, maybe there aren't. That's kind of an experimental process. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it really varies. I mean, the pandemic has been really hard on a lot of people, people who have children. That's just, that's a lot of stress when you've got kids at home. And I think we don't, we haven't really had good systems in place to, to figure out how to help people work in those kinds of environments. So I imagine it's, it's been really hard on a lot of people to kind of figure out how do I mitigate this? How do I, like, I'm overwhelmed all the time. You know, what can we possibly do to make it better? My, in general, one of my big mantras is that I would rather have, especially when you have senior engineers, because a lot of times people who are burning themselves out are a few years into their career, they're the reason they're overwhelmed and have so much on their plate is they're a valuable employee and people keep giving them work. Um, yeah. So your best employees tend to be like highly likely to burn out. I would rather have six hours, six mm-hmm. focused hours, which is a lot of, of a senior engineer's time than I would have to have like 10 hours of scattered time. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think that's one of the narratives that we, I spend a lot of time undoing and had to undo in myself which is we just have this idea that more is more, like more hours and more work. And I'm like, actually, let less, do less. I would rather <laughs> have you do less and do it well. And people have a hard time with that. And they really need a lot of permission from their manager to say, like, I don't, I'm like, I don't, I'm not going to check on your hours. I don't care when you work. I don't care how much you work. If you do this in two hours, like versus 12, like it doesn't matter to me. What matters mm-hmm. is that work is structured well for you. And so I, like I give you permission to have empty hours during your day. I give you permission to like go for, like walk around your apartment and not have like eight hours of optimized time at your desk. I'm like, we do creative work. It's not linear, <laughs> you know, like it's, <laughs> you know, if, if, if you're stressed and you're not making progress and like going for a walk and getting lunch is the best thing for you, you should do that. If taking a nap in the middle of the day is the best thing for you, you should do that. Like, yeah only advantage of COVID is that we have flexibility. You might as well use it. And, but it's interesting, like how much permission and how much work it takes to undo this narrative that we, 
that we have to be working a certain number of hours a day, that more hours of work is better than less hours of work. Yeah, I think it's so important to be clear about that because I think at least I found in the past when I've started to feel unproductive, then I feel like I should put in more hours to make up for the lack of productivity, but it's totally like, it's very counterintuitive, right? I'm, I'm curious, like, has that, like just bringing that up with people on your team, is that effective or do you find they still, like it's hard for them to really take in that permission that you're giving them? It is. I mean, if, if I gave them that permission, then also gave them six things to do, they would have a very hard time with it. So it's, it's usually coupled with removing things from their plate and just saying like, you're not going to do these other things. But the more I ask about energy, the more I talk about focus and, and the more I talk about kind of calm and maintainability, the more that people actually get better at identifying things that are interrupting their sense of calm, their sense of productivity, and then bringing them up. So it's also, you know, by being proactive about these types of things, like you and your team start to build a muscle of identifying stressors, of identifying ways of work that aren't efficient. And so like they start to give me better and higher quality feedback over time. And they start mm-hmm. to identify things on their own that they maybe didn't before because, because it's an ongoing discussion. Um, so something will come up and they'll be like, actually like this thing I didn't think was efficient. Or, you know, sometimes they'll message me and be like, I somehow have five things on my plate and I feel like I have to do them all by the end of next week. And I'm like, let's, let's get in a room because I can almost guarantee you that that is not the case. And so we'll prioritize them and we, you know, take things off people's plates, but they don't know to do that from the start. So that is definitely something that as part of the conversation, you have to establish as a pattern of work as a manager between you and an employee. One thing that I found probably one of the most challenging parts of this pandemic work-wise, and I've heard from other managers is like, especially at smaller startups, is like, how do you support people's well-being and recovering from burnout when the pandemic timeline is the same as startup burn rate timeline, right? Like you kind of also need to move things forward. And like, I would love to be, you know, a manager at a huge company and be like, you know what, these three months, just focus on, you know, taking care of yourself, like, recovering from burnout, take whatever time you need. But unfortunately, like that's like the burn rate for a company, right? And so how do you, I I don't think it's an either or, I think range has actually like done a pretty good job of this, but I find that it's, it's, it is really challenging because I, I wish we could just be like, we're going to just, you know, like do whatever you need, but it's, there's like different, there's different needs, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, I think it's super challenging if, if a company really needs like 12 hours of work out of all of their engineers all the time, that's just a tough spot to be in. Cause I mean, you need to be a pretty skilled manager to get that kind of work out of people. And you're asking for a lot. I mean, you're really, you're, you're, you are effectively trading off the fact that you're burning people out for your startup to survive. And hopefully they are bought into that as well. I will say if you're, if you're, anywhere close to more stability than that. The phrase that I love is slow is smooth and smooth is fast. I think there's a lot of busyness to things. Like I see so many inefficiencies in engineering and almost none of them have to do with how hard the engineers work. Um, Building the wrong thing, really expensive, like takes a ton of time. Basically you've wasted a lot of time. And so there's a couple of levers for speed in engineering that I think that are, it's clarity 
So understanding what you're building is one of the biggest levers to speed. Mm -hmm. So when engineers are given really nebulous tasks with, you know, a ton of competing requirements and no clear goals, like it's going to take a long time to build. Mm -hmm. So paying that down, that has nothing to do with actual dev time. Paying that down actually is huge for speed. Another one is focus. Doing less is always faster. And then scoping, doing less is always faster. And I think a lot of times people, people and companies, even startups, I mean, I had a startup as well, you fall prey to this idea that you have to do everything. And so yeah. you don't prioritize the way that you should. And it trying to do everything is one of the top reasons I think a lot of early stage startups fail. So, so yeah, I mean, I think that there's kind of this larger, this larger picture and larger question of what work are you doing? Is it the most important thing? Do you even know? Um, would people working on this 12 hours actually make your company successful? I can't say that. I guess in the case where the answers to all of that is like, these are the most important things. We need those 12 hours. Then I would say, you know, that's that's kind of its own use case. And hopefully everyone's bought into that and is kind of like ready to to give those hours. In almost every other case, the last thing I look at is dev hours. I look at all of the other levers first. And I usually find that that working on those is much bigger. And then, you know, if, if an engineer is handed a clear goal, like they're just so much more likely to get it done and get it done well and to utilize their creative work hours much more effectively. They might have some 10 hour days because they're really motivated and they have a really clear sense of what to do. They might have some four hour days because they're working through some of the more nebulous parts of the project. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really matter to me because again, creative work isn't linear. So the idea that the idea that if they just put in a solid eight hours every day, that it would have the same return. I, I don't think that's accurate. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. And I think it has been like, I think by nature, I'm kind of a lazy engineer where I try to like just do like the least amount of work. And so that's like served me well when I'm feeling like kind of low in the pandemic. I'm like, oh, I know how to just like kind of get by with doing the least amount of work, which is great for early stage startups. But I think for for like some people or like friends that I've talked to when they're kind of like really prolific, when they're kind of high functioning, it's hard to switch over because they're used to kind of just like getting a ton of stuff done, like throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall, seeing what works. And then now they have to kind of transition to a like working smarter approach, which is mm -hmm. usually they can just kind of like brute force their way through it. Whereas like, I'm just, I have like a lot of things on my plate and I'm pretty lazy. So I tend to like try to find the shortcut first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Also, have you ever had like a really hard challenge and you like were not making any progress on it in the late afternoon and evening and you go to bed and you, you like have a good night's sleep and you wake up and you do it in like 30 minutes the next day? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's like what I aspire to have my whole life be. I want my whole life to be that 30 minutes in the morning where you just are like, this is easy. <laughs> I don't want to work. I don't want to spend any time working on the hours where it would have taken me like three hours. I'm like, yeah, those should just be spent watching TV or reading books or like going out to dinner. But I wasn't getting anything done anyways. Yeah. You're like, oh, I, I, I'm stuck. Let me just stop now instead of stopping in three more hours and just go do something fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the kind of lazy I am. I'm like, I'm like, will I get this done in 30 minutes tomorrow and it won't be a big deal? I'm like, great. I'm going to do it tomorrow. Nice. Thank you so much. I think that's been a ton of really tactical and not kind of the stereotypical tips we've heard about burnout. Are there any like last tips or advice that you want to give to managers who maybe are dealing with engineers on their team who are at different stages of burnout? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the only advice I would give is is really just to take burnout seriously. It, at a certain point, I, I don't think people can magically recover from it. And it's not an individual failing of laziness, which I think is a narrative a lot of us tell ourselves about burnout. Um, and to just recognize that, you know, as a manager, if you're asking people to do things that you know are going to burn them out, working 12 hours, context switching a lot, working in an environment that's emotionally stressful for for any reason, I think just being aware that that has a cost and that you will lose people from it. So I, I think I think most people care and most people want to do a good job. I, I think sometimes people are just unconscious of how how expensive these things are and the toll that it takes on people. Yeah, that that's all I would say. Oh, one last thing I remembered. So my, I really love this topic because my, my partner, he does burnout coaching. So he runs burnout coaching programs. And what you said before about, you know, how we're, how we go through school and we're taught to like, you know, work really hard and achieve. It seems like a lot of his coaching work is really around like undoing some of those mindsets. And I'm curious for people on your team, like what has been effective in helping people kind of like disentangle some of those, those mindsets? Cause that's a little bit less tactical and more like, Hey, let's talk about like how you grew up and how, you know, what you, what you base your self-worth on. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's an interesting one. And that's almost like a big topic area too, because depending on the, the age group you're managing in, in tech, I, I manage a lot of people in their twenties mm-hmm. and your twenties also comes with this um, interesting question of, you're looking down the rest of your life and you're like, oh my gosh, am I doing this for forever? It's like in the first <laughs> moment where you just kind of like look down and there's nothing, like no one <laughs> set anything up for you. So, you know, ways to undo those narratives. I mean, it just, it takes time. I approach it as a discussion. So, you know, the first thing is kind of understanding what people's narratives are. What does success and achievement look like? Asking them what their goals are. What are their hopes and dreams? And just starting to get a sense for for where they want like the story they have in their head for where they want to go and the story they have in their head for what success looks like. And then I usually just ask questions and talk about it and share stories and share blog posts. And it just, it, it totally depends on the person. Some people really don't have those narratives and mm-hmm. it's great. Actually, they're usually very happy at work. They're like, yeah, I'm more successful than I ever thought I'd be. And you know, they're so funny because they're just like, they have the total opposite storyline in their head. And then you've got people who are like, I'm so far behind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, behind what? <laughs> Where are we going? Find so, all my um, high school friends on LinkedIn or my college. Yeah. I remember right. finding out that that was a thing people do, like going and looking up, you know, their college peers on LinkedIn to see who was director level or VP at a bank. And I was like, that sounds really tiring. Oh, stressful. Yeah. So it, it differs person, person to person. So I don't think I have any general advice there other than it's actually pretty fun to talk to people about and engage on. And I found that, that it, it's, a, it's, it's a great way to, to like relate to people is to understand their goals, their narratives, and, and even to share some of the learnings you have around your own. Yeah. I think that is, I mean, I think it sounds like something that's second nature to you, but is a great, is great advice is that make sure people know that those conversations are welcome in your one-on-ones and one-on-ones aren't just for like, you know, what work you're getting done or, or tactical updates, but that there's, there's space and, and that you ask questions and are curious about what success looks like in those sorts of topics as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It also makes one-on-ones a lot more fun. I think <laughs> yeah. as much as I love the status updates, it's, I really enjoy talking about like life a lot more with people. I'm like, oh yeah, let's talk about this like totally random topic. I have no answers, <laughs> you know? And they're like, okay. 
<laughs> well, thank you so much, Kate. I think this will be really helpful, especially now. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. This was fun. Thanks for listening to Lead Time Chats. If you'd like to connect, share, and grow with other engineering leaders, join us at leadtime.range.co. Lead Time Community is a space for engineering leaders who aspire to create better working environments for their teams. Hope to see you there.